What is going on out there, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Christopher Turner. I am your host. Sorry if I uh, host. Did I say that weird? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, sounded like I did. Uh, sorry if I'm a little stuffed up. For some reason, I've had, hopefully, not the coronavirus, but a little bit of a cold uh, the last couple of weeks, so... Um, getting over that a little bit and, uh, <laughs> but moving on, right. <laughs> um, also, uh, I got to apologize real quick for, uh, my, the quality of the audio coming out of the podcast recently. Um, after I moved, you know, kind of when you do these kind of vocal recording, uh, especially with the mic I'm using, it's not the most expensive mic in the world. Uh, it works really well, but I have to kind of spend a lot of time getting it set up properly and getting the levels set properly. And when I moved, uh, I went from like a carpeted bedroom that I was recording in before to kind of like an all like laminate flooring or hardwood flooring in a much bigger open space. And so um, a lot more echoes, things like that. And then also, uh, for some reason, my mixer settings got messed up. And so, excuse me, you may have heard it, but I had a lot of clipping going on in my audio uh, for the last like two or three episodes. Uh, since I've been here, basically, that's I keep on. I'd get like hit with like a, a you know an urge to go on here and talk, and then I'd forget to adjust the audio, and I start recording, and I get like forty minutes for the audio, and be like, oh shit, <laughs> it sounds horrible. And I try to do my best to salvage it, and that's what you get, right? But um, this is uh, going to be much better. I did a little bit of audio testing this morning when I woke up before uh, before getting on here and talking, and so I hope this is a much more enjoyable experience for you guys uh, than it has been thus far. Um, but with all that out of the way, um, I hope you're doing good out there. I hope you've enjoyed the episodes thus far. And like I said in the previous episode, you know, I'm doing some reorganization, reprioritization in my life. And I think that's a really important thing to do in your life often. Uh, another thing that's really important to do in your life often, and this is a really, really hard one, but it hit me yesterday, uh, pretty hard was, um, admitting when you're wrong, Right. It's like a, I think this is a, you know, it's that slice of humble pie or, uh, you know, it's the, the opposite vice to pride or, you know, it's the, it's the virtue to pride. Uh, let's look that up really quick. What is it being humble? I can't remember what it was actually. Let's look that up. Pride. I spelled repide, not pride. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm uh, dyslexic in some form. Um, let's see here. <laughs> okay, let's find the uh, opposite. Let's see, the seven virtues. Sorry, guys, I should have been prepared. But again, I don't know what I'm going to talk about when I get on here. So, <laughs> oh, where it goes. Anyway, um, seven virtues. There they are. That's what I was looking for. So, yeah, humility. It is. So, um, let's go to humility. Humility is the quality of being humble. Dictionary definitions accentuate humility as a low self regard and sense of unworthiness. Hmm. In a religious context, humility can mean a recognition of self in relation to a deity or deities and subsequent submission to said deity as a member of that religion. Yeah. Uh, outside of a religious context, humility is defined as being unselved, hmm. a liberation from consciousness of self. Oh, wow. This is so meaningful that that's the one that's a, a adjacent to pride as well. A form of temperance. That is neither having pride or haughtiness nor indulging in self-deprecation. Yes, it's kind of that middle ground. Humility is an outward expression of an appropriate inner or self-regard and is contrasted with humiliation, which is an impo imposition, often external of shame, upon a person. Humility may be misappropriated as ability to suffer humiliation through self-denouncements, 
which in itself remains focused on self rather than low self focus. <laughs> yeah, this is very deep. Whoever wrote this, you did a good job. Humility is in various interpretations is widely seen as a virtue which centers on low self preoccupation or unwillingness to put oneself forward. So it is in many religious and philosophical traditions in contrast with narcissism, hubris, and other forms of pride and is an idealistic and rare intrinsic con construct that has an extrinsic side. Yeah. So humility is kind of, it's not being self-deprecating. Right, where does it, let me find this. It's, uh, it's, it's not indulging, right? So it doesn't indulge in itself, right? Obviously. So it doesn't, it's, it doesn't become prideful. It's the opposite of pride, but it doesn't, it doesn't become self-deprecating either. So you don't go so far the other way that you start to tear yourself down. Uh, it's kind of an acceptance, I think, of what you are, who you are, and what your role is. And that's very fitting in what we talked about, right? Uh, what your role is as, as not, not as, and, and we've, we've kind of deleted roles, right? The last two or three or what five years, uh, our, our society, our culture has tried to delete the idea of roles, mainly because we viewed one of the roles as one that's improper, right? The role of the female in the traditional kind of, you know, the, our, our, our society for the last, what, well, human society for most of <laughs> human existence, right? Since we've had society, has this role has, has been established, this feminine role. And it's been pushed back against, you know, because I think we focus on the negative aspects of it in a way too. Um, but this is one aspect. The reason I bring it up, I, I don't want to get into the roles it's themselves, right? But the reason I bring it up is um, it's an acceptance of whatever, whatever path you, is laid out for you in life, right? Regardless of whether you feel, um, whether you want more, because everybody wants more, right? Like everybody always wants more, but it doesn't, that, that want isn't justified, uh, your desire isn't justified without the work to get there. You have to justify it. You have to justify your desire with the work, putting out the energy, expending the energy to get there. That's how you make the path, right? Humility is kind of recognizing that, that if you want something, I think that you have to go get it. It's this, it's this recognition that your path or your, your place in the world is not as something that can just ask for things and receive them, but as something that can, um, plot a map to get to somewhere right it's a, you're you're the thing that can go from a to b right and that's a there's a, there's a there's a deep importance in that right in human life in general and our the mechanism of us that is allows us to do those kind of things go from a to b but it's limited our our role is very 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 limited uh and i think that that's one thing we really need to recognize right now as a society and as a culture and as a as a political system you know, as a, as a, as a species is that we're finite. We, I think we all know that, but we're recognizing it. We've been running away from it in a, in, in a weird way. We need a, we need a dose of humble pie, man. We're also prideful. The whole world is so prideful. It's wrapped in this pride, this obsession with the human condition itself and our ability to go from A to B. We're obsessed with that. We're so prideful with our, with our ability to solve problems linearly that we, we have, we have, tried we we've tried to paint the whole universe as if it's one big linear problem and it's such it's such a, a a travesty to simplify something as beautiful and complex as the universe into a linear fucking equation it's so simple it's comical the reason i brought this up because I think I've been wrong in some way 
recently in, in regards to how I've been responding to the COVID crisis. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to say is, is I still feel justified. I, I still feel that, right, that, that what I'm saying when I, when, I, when I speak out against kind of the control, the, the, the grabbing for control, kind of the restrictions that are being put in place, um, I don't agree with them. I want to make that very clear. I don't agree with what's going on. I don't agree with the shutdowns. I don't agree with the idea, like I just laid out, that the masks themselves are going to do fucking anything. They obviously aren't. The very, very most, all you did was prolong or flatten the curve. What people don't understand about flattening the curve, man, is it doesn't reduce the amount of deaths. It pulls down the curve. It flattens it and elongates it. So the whole idea was so that the emergency rooms didn't get overwhelmed. So if we're getting coronavirus cases right now, it makes sense because that's exactly, and if that's what we did is flatten the curve, then that makes sense. You're going to get coronavirus cases through the whole year instead of in one big fucking spike. Anyway, I don't want to get into that, right? But there's a, so many, so many, the reaction has been so wrong. It's been this linear reaction, this prideful reaction, this idea that we can just fix it. Oh, virus, let's go fix it. We're human, we're, we're human beings. I disagree wholeheartedly with that idea. What I realized, though, is that I was starting to go down a road where I wanted to protest it. Right? You've heard me talk about in, in episodes before, kind of boast, flaunt. I haven't worn my mask. <laughs> you know what I mean? I listened back to an episode and heard myself talk like that, and I was almost like, ugh, you fucking prideful thing. Have you ever done that? Listen to yourself and be like, ew. You know what I mean? I listened to myself recently and heard that. You know what I mean? I was like boasting about being the thing that wasn't wearing the mask. You know what I mean? Oh, what a leader you are. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because the reason I bring it up is that I had this moment the other day where I realized how easy it is to go from taking it taking like your truth and, and perverting it into something that's evil and and this is a good example of it right so like this I, I truly believe everything i've said before this right i don't say something if i don't believe it's true i try to adhere to that i'm not always perfect at it right nobody is but i try to adhere to that and so i don't agree with what's going on and because of that i want to embody that i want to demonstrate to people that i'm not agreeing with what's going on but there's something very um egotistical about that because what you're doing is you're virtue signaling, but you're doing it in a weird way. You're, you're signaling, you're not signaling that you're part of the group. You're doing it the opposite way. You're saying, I'm not part of the group, right? But you're still doing a virtue signaling process. And that's building your ego. That's an ego game. See how tricky this fucking ego thing is? It's an ego game that I was playing too. And I probably still am. I'm trying to get away from it, right? The reason I realized it as I was standing inside of it, I went into a, you know, Vegas just went in under more kind of not lockdowns, but they're suggesting people wear the masks and things like that, right? It's like a, it is a, it is kind of a, it's one of those weird things where there's no legal ramifications for it. Like they're not going to fine you, but also like, they're like, you have to wear a mask. It's like honor system. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, the ridiculousness of the time is kind of coming through palpably right now. But anyway, the, I, I I forgot because I don't like I said I haven't been wearing one so I just like walked into the gas station and I'm sitting there and the lady at the counter was kind of you know like uh, 
hey, do you have your mask? You know, and she said, I mean, she said it a little agitated, but very, not rude. She was just kind of agitated. And so I was immediately, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I had already had, I already had my like drinks in my hand and I was in the line, right? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. And I, you know, I got a little aggravated initially internally. I really did. My initial reaction was like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'll go grab it. And I like went and put the monsters, and, and as I was do- putting the bangs down and stuff, I'm like, God, this is fucking ridiculous. I've already walked in the place. You know what I mean? Like, I've already been breathing on all this shit. I've touched the cans, and now I put the cans back into the fucking refrigerator. You know what I mean? So that's even worse, right? But I'll, I'll go get the mask, right? I'm going to go get the mask. And so I went and got the mask, and I, 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 you know, got my bangs again, and I go back and stand in the line. And as I'm standing there, um, there's a guy in front of me. And a couple of people actually, and as I'm standing there, people are walking in, you know, and, uh, I see another person walk in without their mask and she's like, Hey, you know, can you please put your mask on? And people turn around and walk out and not, don't even really acknowledge her. Right. And then, uh, another guy walks, the guy in front of me walks up and she's like, Hey, my brother, I can't, I'm sorry. I, you have to get a mask before I can serve you. And he kind of gives her this attitude and kind of starts to, you know, really get nasty with her. And then he kind of walks out and there was something about that moment that I realized, like, oh, fuck. That was me. You know what I mean? Like, that that's exactly the feeling I was feeling inside and exactly what I wanted to do and I've done before. The attitude I've given people. The kind of snide way I've dealt with them when they asked me to do something like that. And I got up to her... And she said, she she looked at me and she sincerely said, thank you. She's like, thank you for putting your mask on. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, you have to deal with that all day. Uh, because I felt like for some reason that moment made me realize, oh my God, this lady literally all day, all she is doing is asking people to put their masks on and she's getting nothing but fucking hate back. Can you imagine? And she works at a fucking convenience store. She, she had a bandage on her arm, right? She's like, I was like, I'm sorry, you have to, you have to deal with this every day. And she's like, yeah, she's like, thank you. She's like, you know, yesterday this happened and her arm was all bandaged up. I was like, are you kidding me? You're like, no. And I'm like, I didn't, you know, I didn't have the heart to ask her specifically what happened, but just kind of shook my head and told her, you know, have a good day (laughs) kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Uh, and you know, it, there's, we don't see the way people suffer, other people suffer. <clears throat> it makes me emotional because, uh, That's the way we make people suffer around us. Is is by unrestraining ourselves and just allowing us uh, the way we feel to, to come through. We run around like bulls in china shops and we terrorize people. And we create more of it. You know, we take this person, this person that's doing nothing but trying to live their day and do their job, and we, we make them this fucking evil thing. We turn them that way. Unintentionally. But it's all because we, we don't want to look at ourselves in a critical fucking way. Be honest. Why am I doing what I'm doing? 
have that conversation with yourself? Am I doing it because I'm going to have some grand fucking effect on everything? My protest? My pouting? That's what I'm doing it assuming, but it's not going to have that effect. I'm doing it for my ego. I'm doing it to support that a belief, that fucking fantasy. And because of that, I'm hurting people around me unintentionally without even fucking seeing it. And that's what makes it worse because then I do it again and I do it again and I do it again. All the while creating little monsters, a little fucking wake of monsters behind me that go and do the same shit. I'm done watching people do that. I'm done. I can't be done watching people do that. I don't have any control over other people. I'm done watching myself do that. I won't let myself do that anymore, and I hope you won't either. There's something very humbling about that experience that I had yesterday as well. It put me in my place. That's something we don't like to talk about, right? (laughs) Being put in your place. Everybody immediately would get offended if you said that. Told somebody you need to be put in your place. But it's the truth. I needed to be put in my place. Every day I need to be put in my place. You do too. I don't give a shit what gender you are. What religion you are. How old you are. What fucking title you have. You need to put yourself in your place every single day. Because you're not as big of a thing as you want to be. And because of that, you'll constantly trick yourself into thinking you are. Bigger than you need to be. Or more important or more influential. You have to control yourself. You have to treat yourself as something that's fucking dangerous, like I've said before. That can do that kind of harm that I'm showing without knowing it. That by default, you are a harmful fucking thing, man. You'll tear people apart. I, it's, a, it's an idea I struggled with because I want to believe that inside of everybody, like I said, I think the human being is born perfect. I think that if you look into a child's eyes, you look, into a, a, look at a baby, there's nothing but pure potential there, and that's perfection. But we pervert that. The world perverts that, twists it, and turns it into this monster that we call the ego that runs around and wreaks havoc and creates more of the same. And I worry that that default is all we know now. That that thing that we've allowed to grow inside of us has gotten so, um, has been there so long now, or has been, we've relied on our egos so long, at least as a, in the Western world, that. We were tearing it down without, we are tearing, we each individually are tearing it down without recognizing that's what we're doing. By acting as an individual ego, something that's more important than the whole, when the whole system is dependent on the subordinate, and the subordinates in some way of your own individual fucking need to the, that of the idea of what we are. 
is that idea of Leviathan, right? It's a social contract theory. It's this idea that you want to be a part of this. There's a certain amount of autonomy you have to give up. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you have to stop being the thing that decides, but it does mean that you have to be in some way. You have to, in some ways, recognize your role within it. The best possible fit within that Leviathan, where you can you can leverage your perspective in a in in a in a in a proper way but to never confuse yourself with the whole fucking machine. And to never try to seize control of it by yourself. Because what happens when all of the people that make up that machine, the arms and the legs and the organs and the heart and all that kind of stuff, what if they all start looking up towards the head and saying, hey, I want to run it too. And they start letting go of the things that more them themselves to the people around them you know what I mean the, you know, the muscles and the tissue the fibers the bones and the, you know, the, the organs all of those start to disintegrate as people start to try to go up towards the head you know the thing stops moving and disintegrates in front of us Humility in various interpretations is widely seen as a virtue which centers on low self-preoccupation or unwillingness to put oneself forward. So it is in many religious and philosophical traditions it contrasts with narcissism and hubris. Narcissism is a pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's idealized self-image and attributes. The term originated from from Greek mythology where the young narcissist fell in love with his own image reflected in a pool of water. Let's read more about narcissism. That's very interesting, isn't it? Narcissism is a concept in psychoanalytic theory, which was popularly introduced in Sigmund Freud's essay on narcissism in 1914. The American Psychiatric Association has listed the classification narcissistic personality disorder in diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders since 1968, drawing on the historical concept of megalomania. Let's go to this one. Megalomania, personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, is a personality disorder characterized by a long-term pattern of exaggerated feelings of self-importance, an excessive need for admiration, and a lack of empathy toward other people. People with MPD often spend much time thinking about achieving power and success or on their appearance. Typically, they also take advantage of the people around them. Such narcissistic behavior typically begins by early adulthood and occurs across a broad range of situations. The causes of narcissistic personality disorder are unknown. The condition of MPD is included in the cluster of B personality disorders in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. The diagnosis of MPD is made by a healthcare professional. Treatments of her narcissistic personality disorder have not been well studied. <laughs> Therapy is difficult because people... <laughs> well, no shit, because it's hard work. It's like it's all of the things we've been talking about that's the that's how you solve that disorder it's not a disorder it's not something you're born with fuck therapy is difficult people because people with narcissistic personality disorder usually see do you see how this is being described here oh poor me i've been i've been <laughs> you, you know how ridiculous this is like the narcissist is is blaming other people for their disorder you see what i'm saying we've created we literally this problem is so bad that the we have labeled the problem something that can't be solved 
<laughs> it's ridiculous. MPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Okay. So, by that classification and that definition, most people I've run into in the world have this. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. Ask yourself the same question. Most people act that way. Long-term pattern of exaggerated feelings of self-importance and excessive need for admiration and a lack of empathy toward other people. What's the mainstream kind of fucking attitude right now? It's like everybody thinks that they're more important, right? Everybody feels that they're the ones that can solve everything. Or at the very least, that they're the ones that can get mad enough to make everybody listen, right? And then a lack of empathy th towards any other fucking perspectives other than that. Or other people. And their experience, right? It's not some fucking disorder. Because that word is, is, it makes it seem as if it's something outside of your control. Oh, I've caught this. It's like a, it, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's not like being born with like Down syndrome or something like that. And I don't mean to like, I don't mean to bring that in a negative context. Some, I think people with Down syndrome are some of the most beautiful human beings we have in this world. If you've ever been lucky enough to engage with somebody <laughs> that has that. But we have a problem, folks. We have a modern problem, a narcissist problem, a narcissistic problem, because we've allowed our society to evolve to a point where those qualities are the things that have been propped up and encouraged inside of people. Look at our idols as a society. What do they represent? Find the virtues. Try to find the virtues inside of them. Or maybe try to find the deadly sins. Whichever are easier to fucking see, there's your answer. There's very few people in the world that can serve as good, good role models. And the ones that do serve as good role models or, or, or try to speak about these kind of virtuous ideas get torn down and labeled as evil things. We're actually labeling the, so the people that could help us get out of this place as the problem. Sodom and Gomorrah. For those of you that aren't familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, let's go ahead and read about that. Sorry, this is a little dark one today, guys. I guess it's going that way. Let's see what happens. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities mentioned in the book of Genesis. This is in the Bible. And throughout the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament, and the uh, Deuter... Deuter I can never say this word. Deuteronomical books. As well as the Quran and Hadith. According to the Torah, the kingdoms of Sodom and Gomorrah were allied with the cities of Adma, Zeboim, and Bela. These five cities, also known as the cities of the plain, were situated on the Jordan River, plain in the southern region of the land of Canaan. We've heard about the Canaanites before, right? The plain was compared to the Garden of Eden as, as being well-watered and green, suitable for grazing livestock. Divine judgment was passed upon them, and four of them were consumed by fire and brimstone. Neighboring Zoar was the only city to be spared. 
In Abrahamic religions, Sodom and Gomorrah have become synonyms with impenitent sin and their fall with a proverbial manifestation of divine retribution. The Bible mentions that these cities were destroyed for their sins. An attempt at rape, haughtiness, and egoism. Egoism is an ethical theory that treats self-interest as the foundation of morality. Oh, fuck me. (laughs) Oh, egoism, yeah. There's not much on it, actually. Ooh, Nietzsche talked about egoism. Let's see. Sorry, guys, this might take a second. You might have to wait for me. Just listen to the pretty music. (laughs) Um, Egoism. Trying to find. I'm not going to find it. He's too complex of an individual to find it in just like a Wikipedia page. Um, So, Egoism, though, that's interesting. That is kind of what's happened, I think. If we have to, def- if we had to, if we had to call our modern secular worldview a religion and name it something, it'd be egoism. That's exactly, exactly, exactly what it is. It's egoism. The modern religion is egoism, and is an ethical theory that treats self-interest as the foundation of morality. What's good for me is good for everybody else too. Nope. Sorry, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> Not true. Sodom and Gomorrah have been used historically and in modern discourse as metaphors for homo- homosexuality and are the origins uh, of the English words sodomite and pejorative terms for male homosexuals. Okay. And sodomy. Hmm. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay. Which is used in a legal context under the label crimes against nature to describe anal oral sex and bestiality. Okay, so I think the reason it's being brought up in this term is is historically, at least in the Bible, homosexuality was referred to as a perversion of the sexual act, right? Um, but I think that's and that's also where the terms why the term where the term sodomy comes from is is Sodom. So yeah, I mean it's it, there's a there's a link there, right? Um, but also uh, I want to make sure that I I outline this like I don't have I I, I believe that there's love in every, in many many different forms guys and i would never judge anybody for that right um <clears throat> you love what you love i truly believe that i would never judge anybody for who they love or what they love so please don't read too much into what i'm <laughs> anything that i read here don't take it as if i'm trying to espouse these views as something that you should implement in your life right uh simply i think the historical importance and significance of these things need to be talked about right and so we're going to come across ideas like this that maybe uh maybe seem a little bit uh ignorant for the time, right? Which is used in a legal context under the label crimes against nature to describe anal or, oh, I don't know why I re- reread that. This is based upon exegesis. Ex- is a critical explanation of interpretation of a text, particularly a religious text. Huh. Traditionally, the term was used primarily for work with the Bible. Okay, so it's kind of like a, a specific way of a, a very, it's like um, uh, being very liter- literal in your interpretation of something. Um, So that, one of that's why the the homosexuality comes up in this is because there's a very specific in the more strict interpretation of the biblical text homosexuality is viewed it was viewed as one of the reasons that the city was torn down that's why it was this term sodomy comes from Sodom and all that kind of stuff but um, the whole idea the idea that I always associated Sodom and Gomorrah with wasn't that it wasn't like homosexuality bad huh, you know what I mean like no it was like um, it's more of a it's the egoism. 
haughtiness, yeah. Emotional state deriving positive effect from the perceived value of a person or thing with which the subject has an intimate connection. It may be inwardly or outwardly directed. Let me read more about this haughtiness. I guess I don't know that. Oh, it's 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 a synonym for, for pride. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and rape, right? So you, you see like these... these these uh you see like the deadly sins that's what i always associated sodom and gomorrah with was like cities that were unrestrained egotistical by nature and allowed the the pride uh, gluttony you know lust wrath envy all of those negative things inside of the human being prosper there was no guardrails in these places they were actually donned and 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 idolized these negative aspects of the human condition were, were actually presented as positive aspects of the human condition. This flipping the virtuous, the virtue equation on its head, leading to destruction. Now, in, in, in the Bible, this is referred to as kind of um, divine intervention. The hand of God comes through and smites Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you could also, if you wanted to view it in more of a practical sense, you, you could view it as kind of the degradation of the society cause its downfall. So there's no way to sustain an egoism, a, a state based on egoism. There's no way to sustain it. It will devolve. The whole society and culture will devolve until it destroys or, or it eats itself alive. Judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is that part about the judgment. The story of judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah is told in Genesis 18 through 19. Three men come to Abraham in the plains of Mamre. I don't know where that is. After the angels uh, received the hospitality of Abraham and Sarah, the Lord reveals to Abraham that he would confirm that he had heard against Sodom and Gomorrah and because their sin is very grievous. Yeah, so... Um, so Abraham... Um, God, God appears to Abraham and basically speaks to Abraham saying that Sodom and Gomorrah will be smited. Abraham inquires if the Lord will spare the city, should 50 righteous people be found within it. So if he can find even 50 people within that city that are righteous and believe in the Lord kind of a thing, or believe in something greater or, or, or place themselves outside of themselves, um, then he will, he will, he will agree to not smite Sodom and Gomorrah. He will save them. Hold on one second. Dixie, that's enough. Please know. I'm doing something right now, baby. Um, he'll agree to not smite the cities, right? And so Abraham um, then pleads, uh, let's see. So Abraham then pleads for mercy at successively lowered numbers. Verse 45, then 40, then 30, then 20. So Abraham's trying to kind of save the city, but failing to find people inside the city that are worthy of saving. And the Lord agreed each time to lower the amount. Uh, and then two angels are sent on before them to Sodom and are met by Abraham, Abraham's nephew Lot, who convinces them to lodge with him and he serves them a meal. And this is actually from the Bible. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, hold on one second, guys, I'm really sorry. My dog is like going nuts right now. I got to figure out what the hell's going on. Dixie, that's enough, baby. Here. Come here. You gotta stop. You gotta stop that. I'm doing something right now. You need to eat, all right? I agree. Okay? Right. 
Sorry about that. I don't know why my dog decided to cry for like five minutes straight in the background there, but she just decided to cry. So <laughs> um, anyway, I guess I was supposed to stop, right? Um, anyway, uh, this is directly from the reading of the Bible. But before they laid down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed their house round, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men that came in to thee these nights? Bring them unto us, that we may know them. Mm. So the the suggestion being, um, so the angels come to stay with Lot, and men uh, come in the night and try to sleep with the people that can't that with the angels. They don't know they're angels, right? They look like people, and so the idea is that Lot refuses. Uh, to give his guests to the inhabitants of Sodom, and instead offered them his two virgin daughters, <clears throat> which have not known man. And two, do ye to them as good as in your eyes. Oh, okay. There's a lot of parts of this that's going to be very hard to understand. They refused this offer, complained about this Alan, named Lot, judging them, and then came near to, the, uh, to break down the door. Lot's angelic guests rescued him and struck the men with blindness, and they informed Lot of their mission to destroy the city. Then they commanded... Lot to gather his family and leave. As they made their escape, one angel commanded Lot to look, not behind thee. As Sodom and Gomorrah were being destroyed with brimstone and fire from the Lord, Lot's wife looked back at the city and she became a pillar of salt. So, um, in the Old Testament, you know, a God, the idea of God is usually viewed as a very, very um, destructive force. He's a creative and a destructive force, right? At the beginning uh, of the Bible, you see him creating, bringing everything into creation, but then you also see him tearing everything down as well, kind of bringing in these uh, fl- the flood moments. Um, uh, oh, what's the tower? There's a, I forget what the name of it is, but um, there's multiple stories in the Old Testament, a lot of stories of, 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 of God being a harsh thing. But I think there's a reason for that. There's a contrast between the, that God and then there's a more practical version of him in the New Testament in the form of Jesus is the way you see him, right? Um, but it's a more practical version, I think, to kind of try to translate into uh, translate these lessons that you see inside. They're trying to be described inside of the Old Testament into a more modern, um, practical version. And... Because they are really like, you see how old these ideas are and how infused with kind of old assumptions they are. You know, as I'm reading through him, he's like, oh, but I offered him his two virgin daughters instead. Like, that's better kind of a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I'm sure you guys picked up the same thing when I'm reading that. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You, you get these little parts of it where, like, you can see how constrained by the time the writing can be, the idea can be. Because these are created by human beings, right? These, these, these books are written by human beings. They're, they're fallible, just like we are. But there is something angelic, divine about the compilation of all of these ideas and what, what you get from that, the deeper meaning that comes out of those words. So like the specifics themselves don't necessarily matter. The meaning under it does, right? And if you look at the meaning under this, this story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the meaning is feel good doesn't equal good. <laughs> Right? What was that? What was two episodes ago? I ended with that. Feel good doesn't equal good. That's scary as shit. That that's the that's that is the actual moral of that story. 
and that I think that might be one of the biggest issues we are having, we are, we're coming to terms with right now as a society, is that what makes me feel good doesn't make everybody else feel good, and I can't have what makes me feel good all the time because that would that would mean that everybody else is going to be sacrificed for that idea, and if all of us do that at the same time, we tear ourselves apart, we create hell on earth, anarchy itself, and at the very least, we create kind of this culture in which we encourage inside of ourselves the very thing that will destroy us. Instead of placing ourselves outside of ourselves, uh, whether it's through the idea of, you know, God or the universe or, or some kind of spiritual kind of belief, um, or maybe it's even in a more practical form of finding something that really resonates with you and, pu- and, and pouring your heart and soul into it. Whatever that is, uh, but putting yourself outside of yourself and realizing that there's something more to this than you um, is, I think, the cure for that. It's how you accept that feel good doesn't equal good. Because if feel good doesn't equal good, then that means that there's a lot of times that you're not going to feel good and that's how life is supposed to be and that doesn't make any sense, right? How is life supposed to be suffering? Why should it exist then, right? You see how people are really tiptoeing on that that nihilism edge? They don't want to admit it. That's why we're just doubling down on consumption, gluttonous behavior, and distracting ourselves with alcohol. My God, I've never seen so many people in, in liquor stores. It's disturbing. How many people are dependent on, on something like that to, to get them through these times? I don't mean to be judge, judging. I have my own vices as well. I've always had them, right? Everybody's got a, has a vice of some sort. The goal is to, to try to get yourself away from those things, to recognize the suffering inherent within your life and to deal with it head on. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose kind of a thing, right? <clears throat> but we're weak, we're fallible, we're human beings. And you need to embrace that. <clears throat> you're weak. You're fallible. You're a human being. You are not perfect. You're not even close to it. You need to embrace that. And know that it's okay if you don't feel good sometimes. You're not supposed to feel good all the time. When I was saying that we have this, this idea that there's this disorder to everything... I'm no psychologist, right? I'm no expert, (laughs) quotation marks. But I really truly believe that there's much fewer biologically constrained disorders than we think. That this idea that everything is a disorder, that everything is something you are predetermined to have, right? That 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 you are you can't that you can't not that you weren't predetermined to have it, but that you can't escape, right? It's something, this woe me mentality, like, oh, I caught this, now I can't do this. You know, no. You're feeling depressed? There's a reason for it, I believe. Now, can there be, like, problems in the brain? Absolutely there can be. Can they cause those kind of things? Absolutely. There's no denying it. I'm just saying, I think 99% of us use it as a fucking cop-out. Simple as that. I have depression. Yeah, you do. There's a reason for it. of the time. Figure that out and you'll get out of that. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But instead, people go to the doctor and say, hey, I feel bad. And the doctor's like, oh, I can fix that. Here's a pill. Distract yourself. And then they take the pill. doesn't solve the problem. The pill starts to get worse because the, the effects fade away. Then the depression creeps back in. And people are like, you didn't fix it. Oh, let's up the dose. Keep doing that. Round and round we fucking go until you don't have any way to solve that anymore. And the problem's gotten so big, it's a fucking monster that you don't have anything to deal with. You don't know how to deal with. So what do you do? Boom. Bye-bye. We're creating this suicide problem in our country. Because we're confusing ourselves with the things that can solve it. We can solve it. We can just delete suffering from people's lives. Like it's not put there intentionally. Like it's not there for a fucking reason. Everybody has suffering in their lives for a fucking reason. It's so that you get over it. You figure out what inside of you is so inadequate that you can't get over that. You're meant to. You're built to. There's intent behind you and purpose. You're supposed to get over whatever fucking hurdle is placed in your way. I truly, utterly, wholeheartedly believe that. You don't help anybody by giving them a fucking cop-out. That's exactly what our society has done. And then we sit there like, oh, I don't know what the problem is. Well, yeah, you fucking do. You're hiding from it. You have a bunch of egos sitting there trying to say, I figured it out. Here's a pill. No, you haven't. And because of that, you're killing people. You're killing people. You understand that? Your arrogance is fucking killing people. Worse yet, it's devolving our society. Let's go. You know, we talked about the mass shooters and shit. Almost every single time you can find with one of those people some kind of fucking prescription drug. Sometime that they've reached out for help. Oh, they never reached out for help. Yeah, they did. That's why they're on medication. It's just we as a society don't know how to help them. So we give them something that actually fucks them up worse. Because it tells them that they're a fucking victim. That there's something that can't help themselves. That they need some a pill to fucking make them feel good. And when that doesn't work, what does the world look like? It looks like it's set up for nothing but that person to suffer. That all it's built for is suffering. It makes it into a hellscape that they can't survive in. And if that person's had enough suffering in their life, they might flip the switch that means I'm going to take it back out on the world instead of just go out with a bang. You see what I'm saying? It's the idea of the Joker. You saw it snapping some side of somebody when you watched that movie. That's why it scared the living shit out of you. It's exactly what happens. We need a wake-up call. As a, as a species. But also as like a Western society. As 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 and as the United States in the United States as like kind of a symbol of of progress, of pushing forward, of expanding the human condition into something that is is beautiful. If we want to continue down that road, we have to recognize where we fucked up. We have to be critical, self-critical. We have to look into our not only ourselves but also the systems that we've set up and define where they've been going wrong. When we do that, we'll be able to identify plenty of places we've gone wrong and plenty of ways we can solve this problem slowly but surely one step in front of the other. But if we continue to fucking pretend like we've solved everything and the only thing we need to do is get bad people out of the equation or whatever the fuck it is or like get more tribal and blame everybody else or – 
it's going to go away. <clears throat> and we're going to have a lot more of what we had before, which is tribalism, wars, and that kind of shit. It's up to us, right? Whew. That was a <laughs> doozy one, right? Um, I think I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's what I got for today. Um, I hope that wasn't again too too much for you guys. Um, I know it was a very dark one, <laughs> but I think it's a message that obviously needs to be said. Um, looping back around, let's kind of try to bring this full circle, going back to the story. Uh, I was talking about the experience I had with that lady in the gas station. It's really important, I think, for each of us to look into our own individual lives that way. Try to find moments like that in your life where you have the opportunity to, instead of pushing that ball and making somebody else's life that much harder, to be the thing that kind of brightens their day a little bit. See what I'm saying? In that situation, I had every opportunity to let myself run by default. My default would have been fuck you, I'm going somewhere else. And what would that have done to her? That's just one more person in that day that she saw do that to her. And so she's going to devolve a little bit more too. That weight is going to get crushing. And then her attitude's going to devolve. And then every time she says, hey, put your fucking mask on, she's going to have an attitude a little bit about it, right? Or you can say, hey, I'm sorry people are assholes to you. And no, it's not my responsibility. (laughs) But it's really not hers either to fucking remind you. So, who gives a shit? She needed to hear it. And in a way, I guess I needed to hear it. I really did. So look for those moments in your life where you have the opportunity to take a situation that could run by default and devolve you choose to not do that you choose to bring kind of more of a positive vibration into that space you become the thing that brings order out of that chaotic environment and you'll find if you do that look around you when you do that people see it and they stop acting like fucking pricks live your best life talk to you soon bye bye